Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitball and Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Jack Carper and Sean Shute. The match that we'll be discussing today is 2003's Master and Commander, Far Side of the World, versus 2012's The Dark Knight Rises. First thing to address, we don't have Keenan with us. Um, I'm not sure who would be top of the rankings after myself uh, in terms of attendance, uh, this season of movie mammals. I probably would say Keenan's just about second. Sean's a considerable last. I'm not sure he's going to argue that. Um, England did go through to the semi-finals of to the final, sorry, of uh, Euro 2020 last night. Keenan is the one who's not a survivor at this point. Didn't make it to uh, the pod, but uh, we'll we'll plod on without him. And the our commitment to delivering a pod a week continues um so that's the excuse out the way if anyone uh, isn't as talkative as perhaps they sometimes would be how is everyone doing today other I mean, than that I, I was looking at serious doubt this morning <laughs> i was in all kinds of bother but i've genuinely found a second win i've walked the dog had a shower had another beer and i actually feel great so that Sean, line. before you uh, joined the call, Jack was saying he uh, got Greg's delivery. <laughs> Greg's delivery? Honestly, Which... it's the best thing ever because... No, no... I, I'll stop you where you say the best. Me and Keenan the last two weeks have been angling towards trying to earn a James Pantry sponsorship for the pod. <laughs> so I Greg's mean... this Greg's prop isn't helping our cause. <laughs> well... I've done it a couple of times, like for breakfast, and honestly, it gets here in like, I don't know what it is, but it gets here in like five minutes after I've ordered it. It's brilliant. I guess because it's already cooked, but sausage and bean melt, sausage roll, and a southern fried chicken baguette, and it dawns me out a treat. Lovely. Um, well, am I the only one that's actually worked today? I, inverted commas, work. <laughs> Flash. Yeah, same. Inverted commas. Led on the sofa with my laptop open and my phone on, and just only pray- me that was truly grafting then. Yeah, just prayed that no one called me. <laughs> well, actually, I will, I will say, Jack, if you're ever considering being a doubt for the pod in the future, um, Keenan actually joined the pod last week, having not watched the film, which was quite <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> I said he wasn't going to any message saying, can I join anyway? So uh, (laughs) I I will confess that I have done that on one previous occasion. I think I think it might have actually been Toy Story. I just played long because I knew it so well. No, no. I mean, he's never seen Walter Mitty. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, not, not like he hasn't watched it that week. Like he hasn't seen the film. And so he just avoided the intricacies and spoke about Ben Stiller in general. Obviously, not being here last week, I just want to say that I was really critical of Walter Mitty before, and I actually watched it properly, and I loved it. So I did. I passed that on. Oh, good. Glad, glad it's out there. Yeah. Um, 
Master and Commander then, so the synopsis. During the, during the Napoleonic Wars, a brush British captain pushes his ship and crew to their limits in pursuit of a formidable French war vessel around South America. Um, we've seen some great synopsis uh, across the brackets. This is almost like they're trying to tell people not to watch it. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this synopsis here, but uh, they've not done a convincing job. But they should have led with uh, Russell Crowe, post-Gladiator, on a boat. And everyone would have been all in. Critics' reviews. I can say most assuredly that it has already earned its place among the pantheon of classic war films and indeed the greatest films of all time. I mean, it. I liked it, but I'm not going out to bat for it. <laughs> the worst <laughs> film I've ever watched. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to save that for a bit later, Sean. Um, I've just so seen it on that. On the note, just to kick off a little bit, like I've got usually when I do these pods, I have like the the cast, like a tab of of, of the cast um, lined up like on my laptop, and like on the people also asked one of the questions is why was there no sequel to Master and Commander? I was just thinking like I know exactly why there wasn't a sequel. <laughs> well, I've got some trivia on that, so don't be stealing my thunder. There isn't much trivia for it. <laughs> well, there was there was more trivia, but um, like. The location of certain parts of a boat wasn't something I thought we were going to be discussing. Um, there aren't too many films that can combine both intelligence and thrills, but Master and Commander succeeds on both counts. Marketed as a rollicking adventure at sea, Master and Commander instead is a disguised lesson in social history with just enough action sequences to make it palatable. Too closely cropped to allow for the expansive feel of an oceanic epic, and fails to develop any meaningful relationships among its characters. Finally, Master and Commander offers the most meticulously researched and realistic depiction of life at sea ever shown on film. So there we go. Um, I'll, actually, I'll save that for a bit later. I'll, I'll give you some trivia. There isn't much of it, but I do have some context for it, for a part. So Russell Crowe learned to play the violin for this film and referred to it as the hardest thing he'd ever done. He later sold the 130-year-old violin used in the movie for £73,528. Jeez. That's some commitment. The thing is, he was actually good at it as well. I was, yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I was just sure that they've just used their body double and, like, done it smartly. Yeah, sense. I saw the trivia before I watched the film back. And so I had that in the back of my mind and I couldn't remember exactly how he played it. And then, yeah, I was quite taken aback once we then saw the way he's going in. Uh, so, Sean, there we go. This film was intended to be the first entry in a franchise. However, due to low box office numbers, no sequels were ever made, despite critical acclaim and mul multiple Oscar nominations. Just to kind of paint the picture as for kind of the scene in cinemas around this time, um, the other box office films that came out in 2003, so it was largely kind of like escapist fantasy films, a lot of the kind of films that we do in this bracket. So around the same time as this comes out, you've got X-Men 2, Pirates of the Caribbean number one. So that's already a direct comparison they're going to get. Uh, Return of the King. These all coming out around the same time. They said either if you had that list of films, this wasn't the one you were choosing to see. And if it was, then you were comparing it to these films 
for kind of the average moviegoer. And this is why there wasn't quite the demand for the sequel, as uh, Sean's just alluded to. Um, okay, so although the book is set in 1812, the film is set seven years earlier. This afforded the writers the chance to make the enemy of the peace, not the United States, but France. England at the time having declared war against Napoleon Bonaparte. This was done largely for marketing purposes because they didn't think uh, Americans would go for seeing them getting smoked by the British, basically. Yeah. That, that, that does make me laugh about when the Americans go on about kicking our ass. It's kind of like, oh, we were fighting Napoleon at the time. <laughs> you, you were just like this little colony that we didn't really care about that much. Well, in terms of kind of the critical acclaim, this did get a lot of it, and it was nominated for 10 Oscars and won two of them. Of the other eight categories, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King won every one. <laughs> so yeah. it was up against it. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, you bring out a film and then you hear that Lord of the Rings, Return of the, Return of the King's come out in the same year, you just think, this will be even more baffling for you. So I don't know who was in charge of the marketing for this and who decided what would be a good time. They released this in time for the holiday season with all the Christmas films. What? Yeah, this like does not fit the mood. This came out uh, late November, which is when you traditionally release like if your Christmas blockbusters. I don't know whose decision that was. It's, it was just kind of doomed for failure from the start. Yeah, yeah. Um, the role that eventually goes to uh, Paul Bettany, who we now know as uh, Vision in the Avengers films, uh, that was originally going to be played by Heath Ledger. He was in talks to join the film, later went to Paul Bettany. I could see that. Yeah, yeah I can see it too. I love both. Uh, Paul Bettany for me is a guy from the Knight's Tale. Yeah, I just have his vision now. Probably more, more so after WandaVision where you're seeing him out of his makeup. Or is he, is he the guy in that Wimbledon film as well? Is that what he's in? That... He's, the, he's the bad guy in Solo as well, that Star Wars. He's, he's definitely, he's kind of, he, he's put in his graft over the years. So I'm not sure if he'd like to be recognised as the guy that played Vision, but he, he's certainly put in the miles. Um, just having a quick yeah, he's in, the, he's in the Wimbledon film where um, he's with Kirsten Dunst. The love interest of Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, he's put in some work over the years. Um, finally getting his uh, appeal. Yeah. There we go. Um, so that, that's literally all the trivia there is for this film that's kind of palatable to us at least. Um, if we do the standard uh, scene by scene for this one. So first one of note, I would say, uh, Blakeney having his arm amputated. Um when I think about this film, that's what I think about above Russell Crowe or anyone. I couldn't actually remember the kid that it was that it happened to, but that was just, I could just remember that happening in my head. I think I, re- I, think I mentioned last week, but I don't understand why, but this film just seemed to be on a lot in my house when I was younger, despite when I spoke to my brothers, none of us particularly liked the film. And... I told my mum this week, I said, I'm going to be doing Master and Commander this week. You remember that? She said, shite, and walked away. So (laughs) no one seemed particularly thrilled by it, but I can remember it. I can remember the DVD had a red cover. um, But yeah, just not not for me. Particularly 
this being compared to Pirates of the Caribbean, scene, I know you probably think you're going for a different audience, don't you, when you release this film? It just seems a bold one to go up against. Yeah. Unless you're just banking on having the fact that you've got Russell Crowe, like people are going to pay to see it, that kind of thing. Like, like, like I've never seen it before, and I've seen, I'd seen it advertised, and it seemed like a film that I wanted to see, and I actually... Um, I like period war stuff. I guess that's probably why it appealed to me. I also find the Napoleonic Wars really interesting. And I do like the kind of cast and mouths up against it rat race that they have with the Akiyon. I, I, it's not as bad as... Obviously, I didn't dislike it anywhere near as much as you two. I would actually, I'd actually file it under films that I like, but I wouldn't say it's amazing. I started it off and I thought, okay. Well, I mean, I wasn't tuning in thinking I was getting a blockbuster. It was one I was a little tentative to watch back. Um, I watched it before I watched Batman because I thought it's only going to get worse if I watch it after that. Not to ruin my preference pick when we get to the voting later. But I genuinely felt like about three days passed while I was watching it. And then I pressed pause and I and now I left still. It that the, the one critic review that I took down that really sat with me was it's too closely cropped to allow for the expansive feel of an oceanic epic, which I thought was quite true because you don't even get that many shots where they're showing you kind of the, the depth of where they are. You get a lot of shots kind of within the boat and they make that look as big as they possibly can. But the shots in the distance mainly are to show you the other boat that they're trailing behind or the one that they're going after or the one that's kind of eyeing them down. You don't really get much more out of it. And sometimes I like it where it's confined to one space. We've done other films like that before. I often refer to uh, Buried or like Phone Booth. And I know this is never going to be in the same kind of bracket, but there are ways you can do the kind of enclosed feel. And this kind of seemed like it was somewhere in between. I I guess like the only time you really see the vastness of where they are is right at the end, isn't it? The the evening scene where they zoom out and there's just this insignificant ship in the ocean. Oceans terrify me, by the way. You'll never catch yeah, me. Yeah, agreed. I just... Everything scares the shit out. Well, you'll never... Do you mean, like, if you're on a... Would you get on a cruise or a boat or... Absolutely. Oh, no, no, I would. I've, I've been on them with you, Sean. Uh, I'd never go on a cruise. I don't know why. It's just... Oh, that, yeah, that wouldn't appeal to me. I mean, I would I wouldn't not go on a boat was basically what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I meant. Uh, but I would say you wouldn't like jump into the ocean. I remember I went snorkeling once in, I think it was like New York or Tenerife or something like that. And they take you out of this boat and it's deep sea snorkeling. And it just terrified me the thought of like things living down there and grabbing me. It seems an odd thing to go on if you have well, a fear of the ocean. Well, was, I didn't know I had a fear at okay. the time. It was developed in that moment. But I see some videos going around on Twitter sometimes of like the deep sea and these ocean liners that are on there and the waves are like five times as high as my house. Yeah. You know what? I never want to see that in person. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I don't point break yeah, just I a horror do... film for you when we did it last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the beach is fine. It's just the deep sea. No thanks. I don't think I would do, yeah, I don't think if we were let to do like proper as said like deep ocean diving. Like the idea of something goes wrong with the oxygen tank or you get stuck and yeah, stuff like that freaks me out. But I could swim like on top of the ocean. Yeah. 
That, what did I watch the other day? It's not. It's, I think it might be The Descent. And it wasn't the zombies that scared me. It was just the confined spaces being underwater. That scared me more than the weird mutant. Thing. Yeah. Uh, when when you said about being terrified, mine's more is with what you said with kind of the unknown and just not even really been able to quantify in your head just how deep this goes and what is beneath mm. your feet. I completely get all that, but yeah, I'm probably somewhere in between what you and Sean are saying. Yeah. So this kid, uh, for a start, we don't get too much of an explanation as to why this kid's on the boat. Um, I'm sure he should be at home somewhere, but instead he is on this boat, wants to be a sailor and all this business. He gets caught up in the first battle there is. We we cut to him and they're saying how brave he is. Next thing you know, they're just hacking off his arm out of nowhere, telling him how brave he is. <laughs> this poor kid. I just... I did kind of query as to why all of the like kind of rulers or the lieutenants were all like children. <laughs> I had to Google it, and it turns out there was a lot of children that did that because they came from like noble families, so they're actually educated more than the actual sailors. Not a known fact, but yeah, weird one. He take, I mean, to be fair, he praises him at the end, doesn't he? he says that you're the you're the bravest patient I've ever had. I okay. don't doubt it because. He takes it better than most of them in the Saw film, and he's sawing off his own leg. Yeah. It's like, that must be like the Napoleonic age of the equivalent of giving them a lollipop. <laughs> well, I mean, you cut to a little bit later, and he's just tucked up in bed having a little read of a book, and then he's sound again. He's like, what do I need this arm for? But no, in terms of the cast of this, there is quite a nice little cast, isn't there? You've got um, Billy Boyd in there. One of Merry or Pippin, uh, I get the two confused. He's Pippin. He's Pippin. Nice yeah. seeing his face uh, pop up every so often. Um, so you had that scene, you have um, Hollum barged and accused of being a Jonah um, before the lad gets whipped. I never knew what it went, meant, but when I was uh, younger, we didn't have the sports channel, so I used to go on my uncles to watch it. I know that we'd lost a few times and my uncle would refer to me as a Jonah if I was watching the game with him. And it was only when I heard it this time again watching it that I knew that it was more of a thing than just something he said. Like I never repeated it to anyone, kind of used it in any other context. So I mean, I don't know if he watched Master and Commander and that just added to his vocabulary. But I mean, there's being bad luck and they obviously take bad luck very seriously because next thing you know it, my man's jumping off the side of the ship with a cannonball. Yeah, superstitious lot, those sailors, weren't they? That takes some doing as well, because like usually in that kind of scenario when you see it in film, etc., they uh they'll like tie it to themselves, won't they? Because the reason being it's a lot different while well, you are drowning and you can just let go of the cannonball and kind of rise up to the surface. He really did want to go, clearly. Yeah, it was his time. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the same lad that's just had his arm cut off, has to watch him jump over the edge. Yeah, I know, he's he's gone through the mill a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can think it's unlucky because they get wind literally instantly after this. But you you can also look at it that if you just stayed on the boat, you'd prove them all wrong. 
for like literally one more day. Or he was the bad luck. <laughs> That's why yeah. the wind came back. Yeah, maybe he was. Um, after that, you've got... Well, to be fair, the morning after that, they do the service where um, he says, uh, the simple truth is not all of us become the men we once hoped we might be. We're all God's creatures. If there are those among us who thought ill of Mr. Holland or spoke ill of him or failed him in a respect of fellowship, then we ask for your forgiveness. Well, they pass the buck pretty quickly, don't they? They feel a bit bad for what we've said about him, but it's a bit late now. We best move on. Yeah. Great leader, Russell Crowe. And uh, the other lad took them, whipped them lashings for nothing. Paul, uh, Paul Bettany is the real star of the film for me. Well, you're jumping ahead again. I don't know if you've got the structure of the show yet. He wants to, get, <laughs> wants to get this over with, doesn't he? <laughs> I do, I do. Um, Captain Howard attempting to shoot an albatross, but accidentally hitting the uh, doctor instead. Like, this I query again. Because <laughs> he's trying to shoot the albatross, but he somehow managed to get him just above his hip. So he's firing at hip height on a crowded ship. I mean, he's asking for trouble. There's no health and safety on this ship. Like, you've got arms coming off. You've got guys <laughs> jumping overboard with no supervision. And then you've got the worst hunter in the world trying to trying to shoot a bird at sea. <laughs> like, what was his plan here? Because if he shot him, it wasn't over the over. <laughs> but he can't get it back. The way he says sorry as well, it's like he's just spilled his drink or something. Uh, he got less punishment than the guy who bumped yeah. <laughs> And then in the same uh, area that we saw him, uh, a kid's arm come off earlier, you've got the doctor then giving himself surgery because um, he needs to get the cloth out of his wound. I fast-forwarded this because uh, I can't deal with gore. You're squeamish. Yeah, big time. Have you seen uh, 127 Hours, the James Franco one? I have, yeah. So that that made me uh, more squeamish than any Saw film or anything, a bit where the camera wobbles each time he, he hits a nerve oh. and soars through it. That, that made me more than any other kind of film in terms of making me squeamish. That's the one that did it for me. Um, but I was all right with this one, to be fair. I didn't think it was too bad. And then we've got our kind of final battle that we refer to sometimes as being like the, the Jedi fight that you look forward to at the end, where yeah. you kind of know it's coming, that you eventually get it here. Um, all for the captain to be tricked and not really take out the captain. It's really weird because I'm, in my mind, I knew it wasn't the captain. I knew they played that <laughs> trick. So it's like, have I seen this before somewhere? That's where you know that they definitely did want that sequel, don't you? Because the ending is essentially them going, uh, well, back here we go. Let's get on it, boys. What I don't get is, why don't they just put Paul Bettany on that on the Galapagos, let him set up camp for a few days, and then come back again? Yeah, they're haters. They, they, they won't let him just have, like... Well, I mean, they wouldn't let him have just, like, 24 hours. So maybe Russell Crowe is uh, needs him by his side. Maybe so. A bit lonely without him. Uh, if we do the categories for Master and Commander before we move on, uh, unless you've got anything else to say regarding the film, Sean. <laughs> no, I don't. I, really I do don't. feel we've been a bit disrespectful, only in the fact that even films that we've not been huge fans of prior, we probably haven't. Get, we have given a more of a look into, but 
there isn't even much trivia for this, so they haven't really given us much to work with other than recapping the whole film. I think the day after England winning, yeah. I think we could all do with a shorter pod this week. <laughs> I felt like... Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, I love The Dark Knight so much that I could probably talk for about an hour just on that. So, Well, if I just uh, go through these questions more out of uh, routine. Uh, Sean, how rewatchable do you think Master and Commander is? I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh, no. Comfortable saying that I won't rewatch this again. Um, what I was going to say is like the first kind of part reminded me of you know where they try that experiment with reality TV where they didn't actually do anything or or fix anything and it was just really boring. <laughs> that was what my thought was like. This would be reality TV would be like just on a ship if you're just watching people on a ship and nothing really happened. Flicking Big so Brother on in the early hours. Is that yeah or or like watching live Big Brother yeah. Just yeah. a, a shit version of that. That's what <laughs> it made me think of. Um, so, yeah, I won't be watching again. We had that guy on News of the Week recently um, who was offering himself out, saying that, it was it Jack? He would let them film him for like three years or something like that, wasn't it? Um, uh, a Chinese chap. And he was just willing to kind of be in someone's photo frame in their home. And just a camera would be on him just following his life. Um, I don't remember this. You might not have been on that week, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 some there's some guy, and he basically he was after it was uh, several hundred thousand, but he was just willing to stay at home for several years with a camera on him twenty four seven and just be like a moving picture in someone's home. Mm. Um, I don't think he's been taken up on it yet, but someone will, I'm sure. Um, Joe, what did you think was the best scene of the film? The battle scene by Country Mile. Final one? Yeah, yeah, the final battle scene when they storm and all that stuff. I do think it I do think it's blatantly having his arm come off. But maybe that says more about me. Anyway, on to the Dark Knight Rises. Uh half an hour on the film, so you gotta give us that. If Russell Crowe's listening, wants to come on and talk about it. <laughs> Some more detail. Would that get you back, Sean? I mean, we haven't got Sean here. He's muted. So, what was you saying? If Russell Crowe was to come on and chat about the film with us, would that would that get you back on side? <laughs> uh, I don't know. By all accounts, he's not the greatest bloke, so so pro- probably not. That'd be like one of those interviews, Jack, where we haven't told them the real reason we want to chat. So, really, we want to speak about Gladiator. But we're like, if you could come on and speak about Master and Commander with us, and maybe maybe a bit more. Yeah. Get keen and she'll ask. Dark Knight Rises then, the synopsis. Eight years after the Joker's reign of anarchy, Batman, with the help of the enigmatic Catwoman, is forced from his exile to save Gotham City from the brutal guerrilla terrorist Bane. That's the synopsis. Oh, yes. Um, okay. Uh, critics reviews. Sean, do you think they're good or bad? Good. Good reviews. Okay. The Dark Knight Rises colours the superhero film as it's come to be defined by Marvel in a grimier shade and features multiple Oscar winners to boot. The Dark Knight Rises may not always click intellectually, but it delivers some of the most rousing emotional highs of Christopher Nolan's career. This isn't quite the game changer of the previous film, but it is still a dark and exhilarating epic, grounded in reality with a precise vision and craftsmanship 
to make it more than just another comic book movie. I have to get that in somewhere. Yeah, I was going to say, this isn't <laughs> just a comic book. The Dark Knight Rises is the pinnacle of epic movie making, and its scale and grandeur are unprecedented in cinema history. Nolan's biggest achievement, and the real star of the third Batman film, is Gotham City itself. Finally, The Dark Knight Rises is an intense and brutal viewing experience, easily the most emotionally exhausting of the three films. I, it is. I guess it's not emotionally exhausting because he always chooses the wrong bird. The only person, the only people he chooses to trust always seem to be the wrong <laughs> I think there make. should be like a rule as if they, if they could just tell people in films like, if for us, if Marion Cotillard is the love interest, just assume she's going to turn at some point. Yeah, and I, it's funny because that was the first real film that I remember her in as her, and I've hated her in every film since <laughs> because of how she did Batman over. Have you seen Allied? Yes. I say you'd love that if not. Have me, me and uh, Sean in bits in the cinema. I need to watch that again. Yeah, yeah. probably. Pretty good yeah. film. And it's funny, hated her in that as well. It must be her eyes, I think. Like, there's a reason she's cast in all these. Obviously, she does the role well. But we've seen people before where they're cast in that role, they do it once, and then they're cast like a baby face in another. I don't know if it's like she's just got those, like, stare into your soul eyes that she has in this film. <laughs> but clearly, there's something the directors see where every time they're like, you're going to be the bad person. Some trivia there, not a lot, much like... Uh, Master and Commander. So almost a year before this movie's release, writer, producer and director Christopher Nolan mentioned that he was considering using a mixture of CGI and deleted scenes from The Dark Knight to have the Joker appear briefly. He ultimately decided it was disrespectful to Heath Ledger and decided against it. Do you like that? A little flashback or something? I mean, Batman is the one person that leaves himself open to flashbacks because he never kills any of his victims. <laughs> like, he goes into that Bane fight straight away and he shoots Bane in the face, and um, the one where he gets his back broken, and he yeah. saves thousands of lives. Yeah. <laughs> so, funny, yeah. Like, that, that's all he had to do. If he, even if he wanted to die so badly, if, even if he went in with a suicide vest and took them all out. Yeah. Like, honestly, he, I know that he's like, no guns, but he would save thousands of, count, of uh, innocent yeah. lives there. Um, Tom Hardy, standing at 5'9", had to wear three-inch lifts to make his character Bane appear as tall or taller than co-stars Christian Bale, Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine. I didn't know you were so sure. Yeah. This is the first Batman movie by Christopher Nolan that did not get an Academy Award nomination and the third Batman movie after Batman Mask of the Phantasm, 1993, and Batman and Robin, 1997, which (laughs) did not receive a single nomination. Um, Man, what were they up against? Um, I can't I look for it. It's a brilliant film. It is, but I think we did before. 2012 was like a huge oh, year yeah, of cinema. Yeah, it was. Um, let me have a look at the Academy Awards for that year for us. Uh, best Picture went to The Artist. Um, best Director went to The Artist. Best Actor went to The Artist. Best Actress went to The Iron Lady, Meryl Streep. Best Supporting Actor, Beginners. Best Supporting Actress to Help. 
uh, Best Original Screenplay, Midnight in Paris, Best Cinematography, Hugo. Hugo wins quite a lot. The Muppets wins uh, Best Original Song, which I think me and Sean saw at the cinema. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for what was a great film, it's a pretty poor Oscars lineup. So if you were to just if you were to just see like that running, you, you would assume that that's a year that you skip. So Yeah. I, I was thinking or you just delay it a year. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think they went into this one in Academy Awards, did they? So that was what they were really after. Um mentor that Batman and Robin didn't get any in ninety seven. The fact that this is Movie Madness ninety one means we have uh, nine weeks to our movie Madness 100 where we will do the official breakdown of Batman and Robin. What an episode that's going to be. This is Christopher Nolan's first movie since Insomnia to not receive any Academy Award nominations, so this really did break a lot of streaks. It was pretty big at the box office though, wasn't it? Huge. Huge, yeah. That made up for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, in the football stadium sequence, the cast and extras are all wearing extra heavy winter clothing. Though the scenes were shot during a massive heat wave across the East Coast. <laughs> That's my worst nightmare, that is. Because those won't have been short days. Being in some thick coat in that would be horrific. And like, they're heat waves, aren't they? Yeah. They're like 45 degree heat waves. You're not in any shade either. You're literally just in a stadium. <laughs> Uh, Anne Hathaway, Natalie Portman, Keira Knightley, Kate Mara, Gemma Arterton, Jessica Biel, Blake Lively, Lady Gaga, and Charlotte Riley, who was Tom Hardy's fiance at the time, all auditioned for the role of Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. After the initial audition process, it was narrowed down to Anne Hathaway, Jessica Biel, and Kate Mara. I do not want to see Jessica Biel as Catwoman. <laughs> I don't know why. I just don't think it works. I'll take Jessica Biel as Catwoman over Kate Mara. Wow. I don't know who Kate Mara is. Oh. She's um, House of Cards. Zoe oh, Barnes. Yeah. Zoe Barnes. Yeah. I think yeah. I take Kate Mara over. They were on Halfway. No, I take Halfway as oh. the best one, but then I'd probably go for Mara after that. Should we do what we did last week? So last week we had the options for Walter Mitty and we ranked them as to what we think would be best and which one we think would be worst. Yeah, yeah. So I so Anna Hathaway no. will assume is going to be the number one pick. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the others we've got Natalie Portman. Can you see her as Catwoman? Well, like she's maybe a little bit too innocent. Yeah. You putting Kira Knightley in the same bracket? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, probably. I could see Gemma Arterton doing it. Yeah, I could as well. Not a bad shout. Blake Lively, you can also see doing it. She'll have to die around, though, I assume. I yeah, it couldn't be a blonde. Yeah. I swear, the amount of trivia we do where Lady Gaga pops up. That would have been consideration strange. for casting. She also never gets any of them until she's with Bradley Cooper, but very strange. So we're saying probably Anne Hathaway first, Gemma Arterton, Kate Mara next, and then Lady Gaga one at the bottom. I don't know who Charlotte Riley is, other than the fact that she's Tom Hardy's fiance at the time. She must be an actress, you assume. <laughs> yeah, you would assume, wouldn't you? She looks Catwoman-ish. English actress known for her roles as Sarah Hurst in Easy Virtue and Catherine Earnshaw in ITV's adaption of Wuthering Heights. 
He's been in Peaky Blinders, London Has Fallen. Right, just a fair bit. There we go. Um, so Anne Hathaway at the time had previously been cast as the Black Cat in The Amazing Spider-Man, which at the time was going to be um, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4, but we know that's, that never came to fruition. Um, so you'd assume she wouldn't have got the Catwoman role if she's doing both, uh, one in DC and one in Marvel. So works out for the best for her, you'd think. For sure. Uh, Chloe, Grace, Chloe Grace Moretz and Jennifer Lawrence auditioned for the role of Jen, Selena Kyle's sidekick. I can see Chloe Moretz as her more than Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably just because she was younger at the time and looked more as a sidekick type. At around one hour and 20 minutes, Wade Williams has a cameo in this movie as a prison warden, a possible reference to his previous role as Bellic on Prison Break. Yeah, I clocked him. Uh, Eva Green, Naomi Watts, Rachel Weiss, and Kate Winslet were considered to play Miranda Tate before Marion Cotillard finally got the role. I'm glad it was none of them because I didn't. I don't want to hate any. Eva Green, probably the next best bet, would you say? Probably, but I'd rather not hate her. I hate her from Casino Royale. Yeah, I suppose. So, Marion Cotillard was actually uh, pregnant at the point when this was cast. And Christopher Nolan delayed filming because he was that desperate to have her in this role in the film. And so uh, one month after giving birth, she was filming scenes in this film. Jesus. Yeah, he had it set up so she could bring her family to set and was all sorted that way. If we do the scene by scene, first one, obviously, one of the better opening scenes and quite literally an opening scene, not one that we kind of just call that on this podcast. Um, (laughs) Hijacking the plane about as good of an opening scene as you're ever going to see if you want to get hooked in terms of introducing the villain catchphrases that are going to stay with you just every, yeah. everything's right about this scene would you say yeah yeah it's a great scene i mean we touched on when we did it was a different bracket but when we did dark knight how good that yeah. opening scene was but and this one's this one's great as well well every uh one of these batman films the opening scene has the eventual big bad posing as almost one of his henchmen to be caught and going from there. Yeah. Um, are you going to do the Bane impression for us in Keenan's absence, Sean? <laughs> no, I've not got that in me. <laughs> the, when did you, did everyone see this at the cinema? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. Do you, it, do you, sorry. I was just going to say it's one of those films that it has to be seen at the cinema, like you always say. Yeah. That, that not, feeling. Yeah. I um, I, I saw this four times at the cinema. <laughs> wow. Four times. That's a yeah. lot of hours. I, I was I working it. I was working it out um yesterday. I was debating whether it was three or four. Uh, yeah, I saw this four times at the cinema. Um, admittedly, to some of the later times was a bit like blimey. I've seen this a few times now, but there's enough scenes in this where it gets you through. And almost like when you're showing someone a video on YouTube, the excitement of seeing them see those scenes for the first time did make it worth it. And this was one of those. The first time some, you, someone hears Bane's voice come through in this, especially with it being that perhaps he's wondering why someone would shoot a man, which makes perfect sense, by the way. It literally does 
it literally is nonsense to shoot them and throw them out of the plane. Yeah. You're just in, aren't you? I, I saw this for the first time. Keep going over old ground I've referenced before. I saw this at 5am in the cinema. Um, person I went with wanted to see it before they had work at 9am, uh, I believe. And so he paid for my ticket if I'd go with him early. <clears throat> there were people dressed up outside in bin liners for their Batman capes. There was someone already dressed up in like a full like lifelike Bane costume, which must have been vile to sit in for two and a half hours. Um, but this was the first one I can remember in quite some time, and I don't think I've seen one quite like it since in terms of the kind of mania surrounding it. Like people were hyped for uh, Endgame, but this was just a different kind of feel to it. Was there, um, is this the one where someone dressed up as Bane and then shot loads of people? I think, I don't was think it was Bane. There was there was people who did it for the Joker, um, for the it? cinema shootings in, uh, for the Dark Knight. But I mean, it, it may well have happened, not to be too disrespectful, but it's, it may well have happened for both. Like, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? No. But the guy that I picture for this, he has, uh, he looks kind of jokery in the face, which is why I, I may just be putting two and two together. But I think, I think that was for the Dark Knight rather than Rises. Um, oh, with, with this scene, um, the way they just immediately have you convinced that Bane is like the most powerful villain that you can ever see, because the fact they've had Joker in the last one. And you're going down a different route because it's not quite the psychological killer in the same way that they've gone for the Joker. And that's a lot to live up to. The way they do it in this one and just go for brawn immediately over the brains. And you are convinced with the composure to kind of execute getting out of a plane at this feet. The way that he tells uh, one of us has to be in the wreckage. Um, <laughs> has that power there in the cultish kind of way. Right from the start, like, you're sold, aren't you? Which you do need for this type of film. You can't really have a slow start to a Batman film. No. The way, um, the, uh, the, way the plane was just taken apart yeah. did just have me shook for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of similar to, to Harper's take on the ocean. But where do I get on the plane and the idea of that happening? Well, hopefully you're not on a plane with someone that important that they feel they do have to... <laughs> Yeah, I know. catch it in midair and take it apart like that. Um, from there, you've got the next kind of highlighted scene I had was meeting Selena Carl slash Catwoman for the first time. You've got Gordon doing his uh, Harvey Dent speech on the uh, outside, and then inside you you've got her kind of you follow her walking through the party past the uh, commissioner who would probably be in a lot more trouble for the way he treats women if uh, this came out today. <laughs> Comes through and there's a point where she's in with uh, Christian Bale, Batman, where he kind of points out who she is and the fact that she's looking for and her face drops and I think the music, I think they've got like, pull on the string of whatever instrument it is and you just know, alright, this is who Catwoman is or this is someone that we have to pay attention to and you go from there and that's what largely the first hour isn't it is kind of her taking him for a ride more than it is bane and anything like that 
Yeah. And just seeing her kind of go out of the window, doing all of that business, let you know who she is. Um, I did. We did do it on the Interstellar podcast that I'm not sure you can convince me that this is the same woman that's in Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> like I look at her in Interstellar, and not to be too piggish, that I don't look at her in any way as being attractive in Interstellar. It's like it's a different face attached in this film. It's just a different person. Keenan will say as he does. It's the leather cat suit and long hair, but there's got to be something more to it. It's such a drastic change. You've, you've said that you don't want to be piggish twice now, <laughs> and then proceeded then to be I piggish. mean, there's a reason she's been cast. Um, and in fairness to whoever it was that was the casting director for this, it's one of those where once you've seen her in the role, you can't really imagine anyone doing it in the same way. Yeah. Interesting. It's Zoe Kravitz doing it in the new one, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. That's Almost certain it is. Because she, there was some fuss at the time that she auditioned for this and was apparently told that uh, her face didn't fit the casting, which was a way of saying that they thought Catwoman was supposed to be white. But she's been cast in the new one, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that plays out. I don't get that, though, because did Halle Berry not play Catwoman? Yes, she has, yeah. No, I don't, I don't really... I don't get that angle. I, I don't think it's that deep, surely. I think you just want to... She says that the quote she was told was that her face didn't match what they were looking for. But take that however you will. Um, the next scene I had down... Back, sorry. I'm actually thinking, and the only black person that lives in Gotham is Lucius Fox. I can't remember any other black people in it. Not a very inclusive city. Yeah, maybe not. Batman's first appearance, so we have Bane in the city now. He's attacked uh, Wall Street or their equivalent, and his goons are on the loose. And then we have Batman kind of coming out with all his uh, all his attire to lead them on a merry chase and essentially showcase all of his gadgets, which is quite a cool scene. I do. I've always wondered how that motorbike works when it goes around a corner in the wheels, <laughs> because there's two cannons mounted on the side of the wheels. I don't get how it misses them. It just makes enough of a noise that you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It does say one of those critics' reviews, doesn't it, say that it doesn't stack up intellectually, but it doesn't mess kind of elsewhere. Yeah. Like if we, like I said in the chat the other day about, I've actually timed, I was certain that with two minutes left, Batman doesn't have enough time to jump, to bail out of the bat with the nuke attached. Yeah. It turns out you can. Well, 18 seconds so, a mile at 200 miles an hour. So. Well, th- that review said uh, the Dark Knight Rises may not always click intellectually, but delivers some of the most rousing emotional highs. So there you go. That kind of sums that up. Michael Caine, for all the roles he, he's done, he's another one where it's hard to picture anyone else being Alfred after this. The way he does it, especially in this film, is just unbelievable. Like every little speech that he lets up because he has the one, doesn't he, about um, wanting to see him uh, when he goes to France and see him in a cafe and that you're not strong enough. You, I, I was hoping that you'd never come back. And when he's outside uh, of his uh, the cemetery saying, I failed you, all through this film, he just he's just hitting home runs the whole way through. 
Yeah, it's almost like a monologue factory. He doesn't have <laughs> any other lines but these rousing monologues. And it's just perfect every time. Yeah. Still going. You can see why uh, Christopher Nolan trusts him so much. Um, Bane versus Batman in the tunnels. So Selena Cole gets let off a couple of times just because she puts the lips on Batman here. He seems to forgive her for being a rat at several <laughs> points of the film. <laughs> rat woman. Um, I mean, <laughs> leading lead her the, the, the way he does, and then just kind of sneaking sneaking away, going, Oh, wow, it was my life essentially, or yours. Like, very dirty tricks. I did mean to say, actually, that scene of them at the charity ball where it's like Bruce Wayne going out for the first time. When I saw that, and there's the scene of uh, her with the uh, masquerade mask on. It's like that was shot just for the trailer because it works perfectly. You've got the shot there of uh, them kind of up close. That's where she says there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. And I just felt like at that moment, that was just perfect trailer material and they just needed to get it in the film somehow because it does work a charm. That is true. I guess there isn't a lot of trailer without revealing too much like that was such a cool line isn't it yeah when you have some dramatic music batman vs bane in the tunnels so this is the first time we get to see them kind of go one-on-one uh you've got bruce kind of convincing himself that he's still the man for the job he's still got it in him he's the guy to take him out essentially just gets beaten to a pulp doesn't he (laughs) he gets absolutely ruined it's the first time we've seen him get nailed as well which is a bit shocking for the viewer i guess it's perfect isn't it for the film i i remember i I said about it with uh, everest why i said the cinema was almost like more silent than it than it already is with it being silent i remember the feeling in the cinema as batman cuts the lights out and bane says you think darkness is your ally and it was like everyone in the cinema just simultaneously got goosebumps. Like, <laughs> this is special, what we're watching here. Because Catwoman is, really is a, a right snake in this. Yeah. <laughs> He's a proper villain. And, until said, the she, end, she but... puts the lips on Bruce a couple of times and he just all's forgiven. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Maybe Keenan's right. That suit, that suit will just let everyone will forgive you. <laughs> but... This scene, the moves he puts on him, he puts that like backbreaker on him, doesn't he? And when he's pummeling his, uh, I can't say pummeling his helmet, and I see this every single time we're doing like <laughs> space films or something. But he like dents his head, doesn't he? Where uh, he's smashing him. The fact that it's in the tunnel, so it looks like it's raining in there too, makes it even cooler. And all of the guards kind of. The fact that they're looking away, aren't they? They're not even looking at the fight. Like they're like, we don't need to see this. Like this is too much even for us. Everything is just so good. Yeah, and I, I guess it's like they needed a redemption story because although the Joker was superior mentally, like when they actually got into like a bit of fisticuffs, there was always yeah. only going to be one winner. Yeah, it's, it's. I guess when they had it planned out, because. Scarecrow is meant to be the brains, isn't he? And then you've got second one where it's supposed to be a combination of the two where kind of the brawn meets mm. it in terms of like his weaponry. The third one is 
literally just the the brutality. But just the way this is put together with the everything Bane says, it's like you could put it in a Bane action figure and it would be like you pulled a string in the back and it's a good catchphrase. Like there is a line he says that wouldn't work for being one of those things. Like when it's Daggett and he says, uh, we paid you a small fortune. He's like, oh, and that gives you power over me. And he says, do you feel like you're in charge? And I was yeah. born in the, I was born in the darkness. Everything he says just gives you like that almost like smile on your face, nodding along. Like, this is just so cool. Yeah. Especially at the start in the first scene where it's like, it doesn't matter who he is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you do you think they got his voice right? Because apparently the voice was going to be a lot kind of squeakier right up until the end. And then they kind of thought, did they go too far the other way? And Why they settled they, on this eventually. We... So it was going to be just kind of far more um, eccentric um, is probably the way it's been described. There isn't anything I've seen of the footage of the voice, but it was just going to be more kind of, just if you if you tone this voice up a bit more, so squeaky is the wrong word, but it was going to be a bit more kind of amped up. It's it's funny because they definitely did something post production with it because yeah they did with they um, changed it all after yeah because on my soundbar with all the movies that you put on I have to adjust Hang the on. sound because most of the dialogue's really quiet and then as soon as something action has happened <laughs> it kills get, me. I get blown out of my seat. And it's the same with just Bane's voice in this one. So every all the dialogue was like completely normally like sounding. And then as soon as Bane came on, my shelves in my cabinet started shaking. <laughs> so much bass coming out of his voice. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan was brutal for that. It that was, was a nightmare. I will remove that last bit as he just dragged me through the mud. Throw me on the bus. <laughs> um the next one I had was Bane destroying Gotham slash in the stadium. Probably another one of the ones where when you kind of close your eyes and think of Dark Knight Rises, this is one of them. Um, we've heard a lot during the Euros about how good the Italian national anthem is. I don't think it tops the American national anthem. I don't think there's a cooler national anthem in the world than this one when it gets no, going. Oh, no, no. What, you think US is better than Italian? I think the American one, Star Spangled Banner, is, is better than the Italian one. No, I hate it. I, I just hate it. I hate, it, I hate the American anthem. I, like, so I, I like it. No, you know I'm not on track, so I, I think it is a very good anthem and strong one. But it, you know, Italian actually, is still the best one for me. But it, It's actually written by someone from Gloucester. Do you know that? From I didn't. Fun. I didn't know that, no. Yeah, the American National Anthem was written by someone from Gloucester. But, um, yeah, I don't like it because it's so sickeningly <laughs> shit. It's like, perfect. It, it, it is the most American National yeah, Anthem. It, it, like, it fits so well. I hate that it's sung before every sporting event. I hate that it's sung at schools. It's just, better than God Save the Queen before a sport. Oh, event. yeah. God Save the Queen is the worst national anthem because th- that doesn't get you pumped at all. To be the American one where it's like, Ireland's and our flag was still there, then it pumps back up. Unbelievable. I, I don't like it because there's so many different variations to it as well. Like you get yeah. you get some pop stars singing it. For That's the, the worst. And like, they put all these different like swings on it. and it's just They like, add nine syllables to every word. Yeah, yeah, that's all. So, 
if we picture this, if, if you're uh, Christopher Nolan for the day, and for some reason, like I mean, I guess it's your world, your film, you can swap this out for the Italian national anthem. Is it a better scene or a worse scene? No, it's, 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 it's a worse scene because I like, after he's sung it, it all gets blown up. What a lovely voice. <laughs> <laughs> that stadium's not even full either. They can't be any good, that team. It's it's the Steelers stadium that, that they use. Is it? Yeah. I thought um, I had a I thought it was that because it looked kind of had that similar vibe and then even the team's colours, I know it's obviously Gotham, but I don't know, just that yeah, is what it, I it about. looks great. Yeah. Uh, question that I'm sure we've all asked ourselves here. I know you're caught up in the heat of the game. How does the runner here not realise that the pitch is literally falling in behind him? Like, and even if <laughs> even if you excuse him, there's a guy that tries to tackle him right before he also falls into the ground. <laughs> like, what's going on here? I can't understand though he's not realising. <laughs> Oh, you'd feel the ground shaking, surely. He just turned around and all his mates are dead as well. Well, literally no player on the field, and I did watch it back to make sure, like turns backward. It's like, what the hell's going on here? The crowd aren't even gasping as if to say, oh my God, the entire pitch is actually caving in on itself. Hasn't the mayor's, the mayor's box been blown? Yeah, yeah. You would have heard that. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is This is how good the American national anthem is. <laughs> it can get you this pumped that you just don't know any of this is going on. He's definitely classing that as a touchdown as well. It's a kickoff return for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the amount of times I've watched a Chelsea Spurs game and thought, if this had to happen to one game, <laughs> like, this is the one. Although, uh, that... I'm sure we can agree here, Jack. That Liverpool Spurs Champions League final wouldn't, have been, a, wouldn't have been a bad time. <laughs> just about that. Wouldn't have been a bad opportunity. If there was a we don't want it to happen, happen, but if it has to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, I mentioned this last time. Uh, my real only gripe with the film, uh, Bane's death, I don't know if it bothers any of you. I, I, I just feel he deserved the kind of last stand, big final battle. The way he the way he goes out is quite depressing for yeah. what's supposed to be like the most powerful guy Batman's ever faced. I was gonna say this. Yeah, that is a probably the most disappointing part of the whole film. Yeah. Same with I even think the same with, with um Talia's Miranda. death as well. Yeah. Um I think they could have both could have been could have been a bit better. What? Yeah, it's interesting to say about the second one because my thinking when the first, when Bane dies, is maybe they're trying to point out he wasn't ever really the big bad here. Like, he was always the secondary villain. But then the second one isn't like it's kind of a grandstand. No. Just feel like Batman kind of overcoming Bane would have been a good way because Batman, in the end, I know he kind of gets the better of him in the fight, but he never really finishes the job, does he? It's not like no. he overcomes him like that. So, yeah, I don't he, know how you feel about that, Jack. He'd be in, like, he'd be in prison, wouldn't he? 
Like Batman, say Batman, if he carries on the way he, he does, he, the way he deals with his villains, he's just going to have a prison with <laughs> Joker, Bane, and Scarecrow in it. And they're all just going to form this horrible alliance. And all of them together would just nail him. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, Jack, because I know you do like Batman. Um, the Harley Quinn animated TV show. Um, <laughs> it's on 4OD now as well. If you can put up with the like three minutes of adverts, they use it at a time. But it, it's kind of like an adult animated show. You may have seen the headlines recently about it. No, I haven't. I haven't, haven't seen it. Yeah, the, the creators said the only thing they were stopped from doing was um, having a scene with Batman eating out Catwoman because they said heroes don't do that, was what the execs told them. What? Yeah, yeah, this is a real, this is a genuine story if you want to... Uh, what but Essentially, the, the, the premise is that Harley Quinn breaks up with the Joker and she's kind of finding herself as the villain slash hero that she wants to be. Um, but it's got all the characters and uh, Bane's in there and they do kind of a caricature of Tom Hardy's version of him with the voice and everything, so it is quite good. I'm only a couple of episodes into season one, but uh, it's, it's, it's very good. I'll have to give that a watch. Um, only little 20-minute long episodes as well, which is always good. Uh, so we referenced it. I had down here, Jack, just because of your thoughts, um, the disposing of the bomb, and uh, I guess him seeing Alfred then in France, as uh, they suggested. So... They've come out since, kind of like Michael Caine did for Interstellar, where he's like, look, you don't need to worry about whether this is an ambiguous ending. I can tell you now for sure that really did happen. He really did see him in there. He is alive and well. He had the autopilot and all of that. Does that ruin it for you? Does that bother you? Is the film good enough that it doesn't really do much for you? Like, that's fine. No, I liked it. I like that ending. Yeah. I'm a big fan of it. Like sometimes it can be left a bit open, whereas this is kind of like, right, he's done his thing now, he's off. Yeah, I meant kind of like the the fact that, as you said, trying to work out whether he could really have got out in time. Uh, See what you mean. Um, It had bothered me before, and like I said, like even if they just put an extra two minutes onto that timer, it would have made it a little bit more believable. Um. But then upon finding out that you can travel one mile in, eight, in 18 seconds if you go at 200 miles an hour, and you assume the bat goes between 200 and 300 miles an hour, he would just about make the six-mile blast radius, but he wouldn't have got as far out as he would have, as, as it would have shown, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day... We've I'm, seen Jack Bauer survive worse and carried on. 100%. See, I, 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 <laughs> I mean, he also of, survives a nuke, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, it does. <laughs> By hiding behind a rock. I watched that episode not long ago. And uh, he bails out of this plane. And he just hides behind this rock. as a big flash. And then he's just yeah. okay again. There you go. Um, that's, that's just the, the perks of being Batman, I guess. So uh, all's well all's well that ends well. Um, mm-hmm. We get the kind of reveal at the end that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's role is is Robin, isn't Robin. So apparently Christian Bale uh, kind of said to Christopher Nolan after the first one that he wouldn't carry on doing the films if they introduced a proper Robin. Um, He said that it didn't work with 
the type of Batman film they'd laid out, and it it it, it just wouldn't be something he'd be interested in being involved in. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that scene at the end is uh, Chris Nolan's way of saying like, I, I had to get it in, kind of thing, like had to do it, or if he ever truly believed that they were going to make another film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because he fits kind of, if you close your eyes and picture the Robin type, he'd be a pretty good fit, wouldn't he? Yeah, he actually would. This is like, um, I guess he's reeling from that interstellar. This is back when he was kind of hot topic and everything, everything, wasn't he? And it, yeah. in this film, he kind of reels it back from being the guy from 500 Days of Summer to, yeah. uh, to now being a, like a, a bloke, a can-do action hero. What's his name? Christian Bale said he'd be happy to do more Batman films, but only with Christopher Nolan's blessing. I don't know if that's coming anytime soon. I would love to see another Nolan Bale Batman film. Well, Christopher Nolan has come out and said that he'd love to do another superhero film. It just won't be Batman. So he he's kind is, of affected. So just one of those uh, need for people wanting more instead of people. He he said when they set out doing it, it, this was always the plan. Like he had a trilogy in his head if if they were kind of greenlit for it, right. um, this was everything he wanted to do. There's nothing else that he'd like to add. But it does seem like he's kind of saying there to any of Marvel, DC that I'm available, just give me the right the right kind of uh, one to deal with. So give him Fantastic Four, maybe, as I've always complained, they can't get that right. And Christian Bale's just gone into the Marvel Universe now, so he's playing a villain. There we go. If we do the categories for Dark Knight Rises, uh, I did have that in my notes, just the fact that Bane pulls out a spinning Superman punch during that fight in uh, the sewers, I thought was worth mentioning. Um, Jack, what do you think of this film in terms of rewatchability? On Batman, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's rewatchable, even at the length that it is. I've watched it countless Two hours, 37 it is. Yeah, I'd watch. Um, Sean, what is the best moment slash scene for you? Um, I don't know. I, I think probably go for the anthem scene, okay, okay. and then well, the stadium scene. I think that's yep. my favourite one. All right, are you two ready to do the voting? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sean, which one of the two films did you prefer? <laughs> Dark Knight Rises. Jack. Dark Knight Rises. I agree. Um, does everyone agree in terms of rewatchability also? Yeah. 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 Uh, Jack, what's the best moment slash scene for you across the two films? <laughs> it's, ba- it's Batman and it's when Off- Officer Gordon or Commissioner Gordon goes onto the ice and Batman tells yeah. him to light it up and then there's the bat signal burning on the bridge. It yeah. gets me every time. Love that scene. That's really cool. good scene. Um, Mine is the opening scene of uh, Dark Knight Rises. Uh, I love that scene. Yeah. Um, and Sean, I've just got yours. I assume you took that over your scene from Master and Commander. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we do the quotes across the films, I do have a couple from both to uh, make sure. Um, Master and Commander, the captain saying uh, to wives and sweethearts and the officers uh, and them saying, may they never meet. Dirty dog at sea. Him and the boys out on a cruise. Uh, I gave the 
quote from his funeral. And that weird scene where uh, he's just performing surgery on the man's like open head just in the middle of the cabin while they're saying, is that brains? And they're all crowding around. Oh, yeah, that is well weird. Because that's just dried blood. Those are his brains and scares them all away. Hygiene for these doctors. Um, and right at the start of the film, well, Russell Crowe says, this is the second time he's done this to me. There will not be a third. Good one. Obviously more for Dark Knight Rises. Jack, do you want to uh, hit us with one? Um, it doesn't matter who we are, what it matters. Our plan springs to mind. Straight after that, I, no one cared who I was till I put on the mask. Yeah, I mean, one that actually really disappointed me was when Batman and Bane fight each other on the steps and there's that brief little exchange and he just says, why did you come back? He says, oh no, did you come back to watch all you people die? He goes, no, I came back to stop you. I just thought it was a really crap, lame line. <laughs> yeah. So much more powerful. Um, we we spoke about um, Black Panther last week and said about how T'Challa has all that time to come back and say his first words after being presumed dead. And he just says, as you can see, I'm not dead. It's like, come on, come on. You had all this time here. And I guess he had a lot of time as well. Do, do you like that they kind of just miss out how he's got back essentially from this prison in the floor? So you're back to Gotham. <laughs> yeah, there's like no time difference. Like we don't even know where this floor prison is, but it looks Middle Eastern. So that's a good few hours. And how's he got do you, back- you, do you reckon you'd be able to get out? How many times? I can't even do monkey bars. <laughs> yeah, I'm not making that. I I honestly think, and I think this every time I watch it, I don't even think I've got it in me to attempt it. They've got a TV <laughs> down there. I think I have a nice little time down there. Put my feet up. <laughs> I'll just get used to it. Look, I'm in. I'm in, I'm in it for the long haul. <laughs> if you're in there with uh, the guy that uh, Bruce is in there with, he's a friendly guy. Good little cellmate. String you up by your back if you have a feeling not too good. I can see myself like, making that first jump, but then <laughs> being stuck there. I'd be like, that. I can't, I'm not even going to attempt going any further here. Um, you know, like when you reach a certain point and you, if you're younger, yeah. you're climbing a tree or something, and then you're like, I can't go down, but I can't go any further. I can't really relate to all these things. I, I, I said before that even as a youngster, riding my bike downhill, I would have my hands kind of like half clasped on the brakes so I wasn't going too fast. <laughs> but I'm very much, I haven't changed over the years. I'm pretty much... <laughs> I've been pretty consistent. Um, Jim Gordon's little speech he gives after he's just been outed for uh, knowing what happened with Harvey Dent all along. I hope you have a friend like I did to plunge their hands into the filth so you can keep yours clean. Our guy Gordon Levitt says, your hands look plenty filthy to me, Commissioner, and gives him the walk-off. I mean, what else do you do in that situation? Like, shut up. Do you know what I mean? Like he's locked up all these prisoners, all these prisoners, and it's Batman. <laughs> so, what the one of the things is he kind of infers earlier in the film that he knows what happened because he it's the reason he trusts Batman, isn't it? He says like what really happened that night, and he asks a couple of times like, yeah, he acts like it's completely out of the blue when he does find out 
Like, Harry Dent wasn't your guy. There we go. Sean, you remind me a lot of John Daggett. <laughs> Why? Uh, I think you just got a similar look. <laughs> Fair enough. Can I imagine you trying to hold, flash your money over Bane? Yeah. Saying, do you, do you feel in charge? <laughs> that is a good line. Same scene uh, just after you've got, uh, sorry, before his kind of uh, sidekick saying, do those heels make it hard to walk? Catwoman kicking him in the nuts. I don't know, do they? And Alfred crying at Bruce's grave. I'm so sorry I failed you. You trusted me and I failed you. Emotional. Any more for any more? I mean, you already mentioned it. I think my one is the, they expect one of us in the wreckage, brother. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of his, his, all of his quotes in that first scene, really. And then like the bit where he's like, it'll be extremely painful for you. Yeah, unbelievable. I think my favourite of of them all, sorry. I was going to say, and then, yeah, and then (laughs) I keep going, and then you've got the, why would you shoot, perhaps he's wondering why you would shoot a man before, check him out. That's my favourite. Yeah. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I'll give it to Batman for any of the above, to be fair. I mean, honourable mentions to Master and Commander, because they do have some good lines in there. Um... But no, it is Batman. Sean, who's your MVP? Batman. <laughs> Jack? Yeah, it's Batman. Agreed. Uh, Jack, who's your best side character? I mean, is Catwoman a side character in this? I'd essentially say? class anyone other than Batman and maybe Bane as a side character. Batman and Bane, probably, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um... I mean, I'm a big fan of Lucius Fox, but he doesn't get a lot of airtime in this one. So I'm going to give it to Catwoman. Sean? Yeah, Catwoman as well. But an honourable mention to, to Stephen, Paul Bettany's character. <laughs> I'm going to give it to John Blake. He, yeah, he's a good shout as well. I love that Jack. bit at the end where we call him Robin. Yeah. Jack, difficulty of adventure. Yeah, it's, it's going to be the Bane one. I mean, it's just sailing a ship, the other one. Those people can do that. Yeah. There's only only Batman can pull this off. Sean? Yeah, same. Uh, Sean, visual appeal. Dark Knight. Jack? I think specifically, uh, I love the appeal of, the, this, again, this goes to the stadium scene as well, I think. What yeah. about you, Jack? Same here. Same. Uh, best soundtrack? Sean. Dark Knight. I actually have the This Is My Alarm theme for a while, the uh, main theme for this. Uh, what do you think, Jack? So I started getting you broke out. Uh, best soundtrack. Again, I'm a big fan of the violins in Master Commander, but that... Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. And where they um, like combine Bane's theme tune and Batman's theme tune when they get close together. I agree with uh, Dark Knight. Um, Jack, originality? Um, I guess Master and Commander, because there has been plenty of Batman films. Yeah, This is based on a book, but even then, apparently, they they, they varied quite far from the book. And I was a little bit cheesy when we slate it for originality when we've not read or even heard of the book. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's Master and Commander for me for this one. Sean? Uh, yeah, same. Uh, bigger impact, um, 
Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, has to be, doesn't it, really? What was the... Because um, I know you obviously hadn't seen Master and Commander. Um, I had. What? Oh, you had? Yeah. Oh, I didn't think you had. I was wondering like, no, why, I, I why it was like, picked in the bracket, but I guess you, you've seen um, it. So. Me and Keenan, we'd actually both seen it. Um, I, in my head, I kind of only remembered really the star scenes. Um, I remembered it being a bit more of an epic than it was. But largely, uh, all I can say is we, we tried picking as many kind of different takes on adventure as possible. So Yeah, because when I saw, cause I was thinking, like, was it like a... I think it was a success or something like a really renowned well film, and that was why. It well, was, it's, it's increased. It's won but. two Oscars, to be fair. But yeah, I guess it. That's what I mean. So it's obviously won awards, but didn't do the commercial no. numbers. Yeah. No, it's ranked pretty highly. Um, it's, I think it's a seven point seven on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, does anyone think Master and Commander has the best opening scene? No. Uh, does anyone think Master and Commander has a better ending? No. And does anyone prefer the chemistry in Master and Commander? No. Nope. That seems an easier way of doing it. Um, <laughs> so that is 14-1 in the favour of Dark Knight Rises. Um, I'll just tell you now what that means going forward. Uh, so that means we have Dark Knight Rises against Walter, uh, sorry, against Black Panther in the next round. So a Marvel versus DC clash and then next week we have infinity war versus zombieland that is a style matchup good week next week i like that yeah i've already watched zombieland as well i watched it the other night i've been saving it to uh watch again um but we uh we won't do the uh other points considered today i'm well aware of uh, how everyone's feeling so I'll uh, save you that. Sean has actually answered a couple of his takes already at the start of the podcast. So <laughs> there's that there. Uh, much appreciated for uh, plodding on. And I'll let you both uh, get back to bed if that's what you're planning to do. Um, I need to go and cook dinner for a start. I'm starving. Yeah. What's, what's for dinner tonight, Jack? I don't actually know. I think it's pasta of some sort. We've got gusto delivered. Literally, oh, yes. So I've got to cook from scratch as well, which is a ball ache. Oh, uh, I graft all day and then get home and have a nice hearty meal before the pod. What I do? What's the hearty meal that you had? I had uh, Hunter's. I had uh, Hunter's gammon with some uh, basmati rice and salad. Oh, nice. Hunter's gammon. Yeah, I've never heard of that before, but Tesco, nice. Good days. All right, boys. I'm going to have to shoot because I'm starving. Yeah. Adios. Goodbye. See you later. See you later.